0: One of the things that that anyone who knows me will will know is I'm a pretty big football supporter and a very big Crows fan, and I pretty much do everything I can to get to all the Crows games that I've got a season's ticket for, and and so they run onto the field in 45 minutes. Um, So um, we're preaching about David and Goliath today, and just to, I guess, keep it fairly brief, uh, (laughs) David fights Goliath. And he wins. So if the band could just come up. Um, <laughs> um, it's a famous passage, this one. It's uh, it's, a classic, um, it's a classic David versus Goliath story. Um, it's funny how that, that's actually a, a phrase that has entered the popular parlance of our, of our world. It goes beyond. You don't have to have ever been in church to hear about it's a David versus Goliath battle when a, a sporting team who a weak comes up against a great team or, or uh, I was thinking about the old movie, um, the classic Australian film The Castle and you know the Kerrigan family coming up against uh, the government who wish to acquire their land near the airport to extend the runway and so you have a David versus Goliath battle. So this morning I want to see if we can tap a little bit deeper than kind of the, the cliche or, or, or the metaphor that's become part of our culture. In fact, after the, the first service, I had a, actually, a very serious conversation with one of the younger people who, who came here, who, who raised this challenging question about the fact that at the end of this battle, uh, David um, you know, t- cuts off the head of Goliath and then the Israelites storm uh, you know, across and, and uh, um, defeat the uh, Philistines uh, very violently. And I guess it raised this question about violence in the Old Testament and and where that fits in and the difficulty of it. And I really don't have time to go into that, but perhaps I should address it slightly. I think what I would say about it is that part of the challenges of God's redemptive plan is that his people, Israel, come into a land that's full of people who are hostile to them and also are surrounded by nations who were and continue to be hostile to them And so we live in a country called Australia where we've grown up in a world where uh, in our lifetime most of us have never experienced war or the invasion, the threat of invasion from another country and the need to protect ourselves from that or to fight a battle of any kind while battles still go on in our world. We're very removed from them. And so uh, countries who live in that culture and in that context would probably better understand and come to terms with that it's hard for us to look through the lens that we look through and understand the need for battle and the reality of battle that existed in the Old Testament. So that's all I'll say to that. Uh, But I want to get into this story and I want to talk this morning about courage because David's actions in here are a remarkable example of courage. So let me pray this morning and we'll get into it. Father, I pray that you'll speak through your word. I pray that something of the courage of David would be understand, understood by us, not in a way that just kind of motivates us to think we can you know, take on giants uh, in our own strength, but we'll actually, actually understand the deeper, the deeper understanding that David had that enabled him to approach the battle with courage. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up to 1 Samuel if you've got it or it'll be on the screen. It's a very long chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 52 verses I think it is. So I want to kind of work through it bit by bit rather than just reading the entire part. Let's read the first 11 verses. Now the Philistines uh, gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soca in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesus. Damien between Soka and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites uh, assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another one with a valley between them. So if you've seen the old uh, battles, if you've seen Braveheart or something like that, you know the the battles were very much two armies would literally line up and they'd prepare for battle. And often there would be then discussion and negotiation, and they would work out the terms of the battle, and then they would engage in the battle. Uh, but ch- in this story, it's a little different. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which is approximately uh, eight and a half to nine feet tall. Um, so he's a, he's a big unit. Um, LAUGHTER He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Uh, So he's kind of like a human statue. Uh, He's made of bronze basically. Uh, His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him and essentially what we have here is that this guy is enormous and he's a giant and it's a terrifying sight. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him, And kill him. You will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistine's words, Saul and the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And so we have here a kind of accepted approach to battle In the time where there would be these two people would come out, one from each army and rather than the whole army going into a a bloody and costly battle, uh, these two people would fight by proxy of the whole army. Uh, They would be called champions. I guess that's where we get the term champion from, someone who's particularly great. And uh, they would fight and whoever won, then that would be deemed that the army had won and they wouldn't actually need to go into battle. And so Saul is, uh, sorry. Uh, Goliath is coming out and he's threatening them. He's, he's, uh, he's um, uh, th- shouting out insults and threats to the Israelites. And we read that the Saul who is the king and all the Israelites are dismayed and they are terrified. Wow. Now, the next little bit here we go into... Uh, actually, no, let me talk to that a little bit. Um, this passage speaks powerfully about the impact of fear on the human heart and the human life. Franklin D. Roosevelt, in his inaugural presidential speech, uh, gave the famous words, he said, We have nothing to fear except... Everyone seems to know that quote. We have nothing to fear except fear itself. That there's something about fear that once fear gets into our heart, it just disables us. It paralyzes people. It eats away at people. It destroys people's confidence. It it leaves them standing still and not able to move forward. And actually, when God has a plan and a purpose for our life, and we believe that, fear is such a powerful that prevents us from living out the plan and purpose God has for us. And many people, many people live with fear causing a very deep negative impact on their lives. But sadly, many Christian people live the same way. Fear affects us all. We read that powerful Psalm of David, Ben read Psalm 27, where David's declaring, you know, though, though war may break out against me, I will be confident. You know, th- even if this happens, I will not fear. Yeah. But if we read other Psalms by Saul, we'll know that there were times when he felt deeply fearful. And so there's this part of our life where at times we feel confident and at times fear can deeply affect us. Remember being on a uh, a prayer retreat with, uh, with a couple of people. We were at Bible college and we went on this prayer retreat and we had to think about and reflect on our fears and name them as part of the process of the prayer retreat. And I got to the morning tea. We'd been doing this for about two hours and I thought about something that was an area of fear in my life. And, and uh, one of the, the guys there very sort of uh, seemed quite happy with himself. He said, well, I've named 31 fears affecting me. I thought, well, wow, I've only come up with one. That's a, phew, 31. That's a pretty good number. and um, But, you know, what a, what a tragic thing that someone could, could so readily name so many fears that were affecting them as a believer in Jesus. Of course, Scripture compels us over and over again. Fear not, for I am with you. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power of love self-discipline and my prayer really is that, that this morning god might just do a little work in the hearts of a couple of people here and maybe it only needs to be a couple of people who just need a strengthening from the lord to overcome fear that's affecting you the passage goes on in verse 12 to 16 to talk about david's family and we're introduced to his brothers um it's kind of like uh i preached about this last week but it's almost like god has realized some people don't attend church every week so we get a little precursor about who david's family members are for those who didn't come last week and um uh talks about his brothers so david's brothers are at the battle david's dad jesse uh sends david to the battlefront with some supplies and he wants to hear how uh his sons are going uh, so jesse sends david there and uh when, um, when he arrives, he, he, hears, he sees what's going on and um, he hears them doing this uh, war cry. It says, if we go to verse uh, 21, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his uh, things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As they were talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance at David. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. And so the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter's hand in marriage. And we'll exempt him, his family, from taxes in Israel. That's a a fair reward. David asked the men standing there, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine? And they say, they repeat to him what will happen. And, uh, And then we get this little interlude. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. And how wicked your heart is, you came down here only to watch the battle. And so uh, David's uh, oldest brother, um, perhaps like a lot of older brothers do, having a little crack at his younger brother, he's saying, oh, you've, you've just come down here to watch the battle, you, you know, you've, you've, you haven't come down here for any other good reason. But David's response here, this is a little aside to the main story, David's response to his older brother is interesting. He says, first he says, what have I done? Can't I even speak? Then it says, then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. That is to say, he turned away from his brother and he asked again about Saul and his defiance and what was happening in this battle. So he realised that his battle was not with his brother, but the battle was with Saul. And sometimes in life we actually get distracted by a side battle that's not the real battle and we actually need to be drawn back to the key issue that we need to confront. It's like I, I remember being in a, a church when I was in my early 20s. I wasn't in leadership. I was just part of it. And I watched from a distance where a church where I'd actually really just become a Christian and started attending and I'd been there for three or four years, started to experience disunity and dysfunction and conflict in that church. And everyone seemed to be looking for who's, who was to blame or who the problem was. And so these people thought this group was, and this person thought it was the minister, and then it was maybe it was the elders who were the problem. But it was almost as though they missed where the real source of the conflict was, that there was actually an evil one who was actually celebrating the fact that there was conflict and disunity in that church, because once there was conflict and disunity, it caused people to be totally distracted from the mission, and they get caught looking inward. And they needed actually, what they should have done is perhaps turned away from that and, and gone back to the core issue. Being a people praying against the conflict and disunity and that God would actually change that. So David here sees the real problem. He sees the real problem. He goes on to say, uh, David said, verse 32, I think this is a key verse. He said, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go and against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. David is a pretty awesome young dude. And uh, and then he says, um, uh, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? Because he has defied the armies of the living God. And and what he says here is really key. He says he doesn't say because he has defied the army of Saul. He doesn't even say he has defied the army of Israel. He actually recognises that this battle at its heart is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. He has defied the armies of the living God. And then he says this, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. And um, later on, if we go down to verse 45, David says this little speech to uh, Goliath, he says, You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. I'm just going to count the times he mentions the Lord here. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. See, over and over again, he says the battle is the Lord's. This is the Lord's. This is the Lord's. This is about God. What he's saying is this is a spiritual battle, not just a physical battle. And sometimes in our battles in life, the the, the conflicts and the trials and, and when people or situations come against us, we get so caught up in the immediacy of the physical or the relational or the emotional that we can sometimes miss that behind it, there is a spiritual battle. And so we try to address the battle in a physical, emotional or relational way when we actually miss there's actually something spiritual going on here. And the best thing we could do is get on our knees and start praying about that there is power in prayer and David is someone here who everyone is seeing the physical battle hence they see their glass bigger than all of them so they shrink back in fear but David sees a completely different situation he sees a spiritual battle and so he knows that the Lord who is the God Almighty is actually Almighty so it's easy for us to say Almighty God you know I pray to you and, and then we almost forget that that almighty God is actually almighty. And almighty means like really, really, really mighty. <laughs> almighty God is the Lord who he prays to. And so he knows and he prays that this is the spiritual battle here. Uh, if we go back to 1 Samuel 6:13, when he receives the spirit, it says, from that day on the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. When he received his calling, when he received his anointing, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Some people have said that David is a New Testament man living in Old Testament times. Because even before the Spirit of the Lord is poured out upon all people, David has this anointing of the Spirit which enables him to see that the battles are spiritual and that he's got the power of God at work in him and with him. And so David's got this confidence to confront Goliath, despite his size, because he knows that it's not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the Lord that victory is found. He also confronts uh, this battle because actually in the secret place out in the field with the sheep, David's proven that he's faithful with, a few, with the small things looking after a few sheep. And now he's actually going to be trusted with a great thing, which is the entire Israelite people who are actually God's sheep, you know, effectively. God was their great shepherd. And so when we get to the climax of the story, verse uh, verse uh, uh, 40, uh, 51, it says this. Or, hold on, I've got to go back here. Verse 45, we get this speech and then it says this. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. He doesn't like even just crawl or sneak or just take a few steps. David, picture this image because I'd noticed this for the first time when I studied it this week. David ran towards Goliath. He's charged him, this little guy, and he charges the giant. I love that. And then he takes uh, from his bag a stone. And we, we, in the story, David had taken five smooth stones And he takes one of them and he puts it in his sling and he strikes the Philistine on the forehead. And it says the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then we see David uh, do what he promised to do with the... Goliath's head, and then um, we see then that the entire Israelite army suddenly have this courage, and they charge forward, and they rout the um, Philistine army. The Israelites rout the Philistine army, and the victory is complete. Now, here's the thing: one thing that I, I, I found fascinating when I studied this is there's this incredible connection between David. And Jesus, David is kind of a precursor to Jesus. And in this battle and in David's life, there's all these parallels. So where was David born? Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. David was, uh, was a shepherd. And Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. David became a king. At this point in time, he had an anointing to be a king. Of course, Jesus is our king. The king of kings. David acts as a representative for God's people. And many years later, Jesus on the cross would act as a representative for God's people. David fought an enemy in Goliath that no one believed could be defeated. Jesus fought an enemy in sin and death that no one thought could be defeated. David won a victory that all of God's people then shared in. And Jesus has won a victory for us that we all share in and through which we have confidence to live boldly. See, someone once said man has only three main problems and they are sin, sorrow and death. The Israelite army faced those problems. They faced the problem of sin because Goliath was opposing God and his people. Sorrow because there's fear and worry that captured them. And death, because Goliath promised to kill whoever stood against him. And so David goes into defeat, sin, sorrow, and death, and thousands of years later Jesus would go into defeat sin, sorrow, and death. As it says in John 10 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, and have eternal life. So where is the courage and confidence of David? in your life today. This passage should give us strength. It should give us confidence that when we face trials, that when we face battles, that when we face situations, we do not need to be a fearful people. We do not need to be a defeated people. We do not need to be an afraid people or a timid people. We can be a people who confront those situations with courage and with confidence and with boldness. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. He's the one that brings the supply. If God has called you to it, God will bring you through it. If God has called you to it, God will bring you through it. And so where do you need to see an increase of courage in your life? That you might confront a battle that you face. Well, I think, as Christians in Australia today, we need an increase in courage in our speech, in the way we speak about our faith. And amazing things come when we speak about our faith, when we are open about our Christianity. I, I, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal as a great person, but one thing, I mean, it's a past being a pastor helps. Everyone I know knows that I'm a Christian. I'm on the golf course on Friday morning, as I am every Friday morning. I'm on the 12th hole, and my playing partner says to me, look, I don't want to get too personal, but do you believe in the afterlife? There's an open door to a conversation on, a, on the golf course. Sitting down next to someone at football yesterday. And I begin engaging in a deep conversation because this person grew up with his family in a very, very large church in Adelaide. grew up going to a very big church. And because of what they saw and experienced, his parents have now completely left the church and left faith. So we end up having a long conversation about church and faith and problems of the church and the flaws of the church and where it's let people down but these conversations will only flow if people actually know that you're a believer we've got to increase our courage to talk about that in our culture today we've got to increase our courage to actually act with boldness in our actions Because there's times when we can actually show compassion and love and mercy and step in and actually make a difference in someone's life. But it's so easy just to not do that. Because sometimes that takes courage. Parents these days, you've got to show courage in your parenting. If you want to raise your kids to know the Lord. We need to show courage in trials. We've got to show courage in the way we serve and the way we give. To do so in a way that reflects that we have faith to believe that God is our provider what are the battles God has put before you as I said we all have our battles we all have our fears that have a potential to overwhelm us but God would want us to take out of this story that we should not shrink back we should not be terrified we should not be defeated we should not be afraid but in God there is confidence and in God we can have courage because it's not by might and not by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.